the phrase, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, doesn't appear in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Luke, uh, which is the passage that we're going through. However, uh, it is a well-known part. In fact, I suspect if we were to all quote this prayer together, we would quote the Matthew version. I have preached through Matthew. It was 10 years ago. Uh, most of you, uh, or at least many of you, were not here 10 years ago. And I suspect if we were to ask those who were here 10 years ago what I said, I, uh, I'm suspicious we'd probably have difficulty coming up with that. Uh, could you imagine, by the way, I'll just throw this out here. Could you imagine that you just remembered one thing from every sermon you've ever heard? Just one. How, how tremendous that would be. That's one of the challenges, by the way, of preaching sermons. You kind of hope that people can at least take one thing away from the sermon that you speak. This does transform us, by the way. The preaching of the word of God builds into our lives. So we're going to look now at this phrase, even though it doesn't appear in Luke. Let me read you Luke's account of this prayer one more time. It happened, Luke 11, 1 through 4, that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. They, of course, had heard any number of prayers throughout their lives. These were folks who were Jewish. These were folks who had attended the synagogue. They had heard any number of rabbis and Pharisees. They were not unfamiliar with prayer at all, but most of the prayers that they heard were were prayed uh, repetitiously. You had a memorized prayer, you put it together, you prayed different prayers on different occasions. You had a prayer for this particular Sabbath and another prayer for this Sabbath or for this offering or for this sacrifice. And so everything that was done was repetitious over and over. Jesus didn't pray like that. Jesus prayed to his heavenly father. No one addressed God as their heavenly father. That was unheard of. That was not a relationship that you had with God, but Jesus did. Jesus prayed in a conversational kind of tone. I mean, you just read the prayers of Jesus and you realize this is completely different than any kind of prayer that they had heard before. And so they come and say, would you teach us? How do we go about this? And so Jesus did not give them a prayer to memorize. Just to be clear about that. This was a framework. This was like this. Pray like this. So this is what he goes on. He says, well, when you pray... Pray like this. Say these kinds of things. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And of course, Matthew adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That's the prayer. It's short. It's not um, hours of prayer. When we pray to God, of course, we pray without ceasing, right? We should pray all day, all the time. Prayer should be continuously on our lips. But there should be moments where we set aside to do nothing but speak to God. A moment where we decide to really focus on our conversation with God. This particular phrase this morning, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven, should probably bring to our attention a question, a not unreasonable question. But wait a minute. Isn't God sovereign? I mean, isn't God in charge of 
you know, the whole earth and the universe and everything that goes on in it? I mean, isn't God's will already being done on earth as it is in heaven? I mean, isn't, isn't God, he's sovereign, right? So isn't God's will always being done? Of course, God does, in fact, have a plan for the universe. He has a plan, certainly, for this world. God says, I am the Alpha, the beginning, A, and the Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end. God planned out the beginning. God planned out the end. We have the beginning in the book of Genesis. This is how God started the world. We have the end of the world in the book of Revelation. We see how God ends the world. We start out with the tree of life, in the garden, in Eden, in Genesis, early chapters, we end with the tree of life in the new Jerusalem, in eternity, on the new earth. Those two bookends lay out for us one God, one plan, one purpose, and one sovereign will of God. That is the sovereign will of God. We see how God started the world. We see how God ends the world. It's between those two bookends that there is the moral will of God. And what we see is that God created sentient beings. Now, the sovereign will of God is revealed throughout the scriptures. We can see that there are certain things. There are, there are certain promises that God makes. God calls Abraham declares to him how this is going to go. You're going to be a nation, and I am going to send my Messiah as one of your descendants. God lays out for us the broad plan of how history is going to go. You read the book of Daniel. God lays out how the nations are going to rise and fall. This is the sovereign will of God, but for the most part, the sovereign will of God is hidden. It's secret. God does not lay out for us everything that's going to happen. I mean, what's going to happen today? What exactly is going to occur today that is going to have enormous effects in the future? We don't, we, we don't know. God is not revealing that to us. Who in the world is going to be born today? Do we know? You know, it's very possible the 144,000 who are going to be revealed in the book of Revelation or are going to preach the gospel to all the world, you know, maybe one of, one of the 144,000 is going to be born today. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't Maybe they have to be born sometime, right? Is that going to happen today? God has not revealed that. But God knows that. God has a sovereign will that is going to come forth. That is not what's being spoken about in this passage. In fact, the revealed will of God is the moral will of God. It's spoken of in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses writes this to the children of Israel. He says, you know, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's the sovereign will of God. Exactly everything that's going to happen and how it's all going to work out, we don't fully know, except the bookends, the beginning and the end. But there are all kinds of secret things that God has planned that are going to come to pass. But the revealed things belong to us. And to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. That is the moral will of God. We see the moral will of God. That is out there. And what it is God is going to do in a secret will, we don't know. But his moral will is all too clear. So when we pray, we are praying for the moral will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the sovereign will of God can't be thwarted. 
you, you can't not do the sovereign will of God. But you can certainly not do the moral will of God. In fact, we regularly don't do the moral will of God. The first really obvious example of not doing the moral will of God is Adam and Eve. God puts them in the garden and says, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Whatever you do, don't eat of that. Because if you eat of that, you will surely die. This is the moral will of God. Obviously, in the sovereign will of God, they in fact ate of the tree. They defied God. Why? Because the moral will of God, we, we are not robots. God did not make us robots. We are not cows. We don't wander around grazing all morning and then sitting through the lazy afternoon chewing our cuds and thinking of not much more than exactly that. No, that's not us. We are moral beings. We have moral choices. God has made us and created us in his image. As he did, the angels also have moral choice. And it's clear that given moral choices, uh, in the sovereign will of God, the moment God provided sentient beings with a moral choice, well, what do you know? The apparently greatest angel that God made was Satan, Lucifer. And what did he do? Well, the moment he got the opportunity, he proceeded to defy the moral will of God and led a third of the angels with him. He no sooner gets that done, he comes down here and he talks to Adam and Eve. And the minute he talks to them, as soon as they're confronted with the moral will of God, you know what? It seems to require very little for them to go right along with Satan and to decide that we want to be in charge of our lives ourselves. In fact, the very knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is the revelation of the moral will of God. And instead of waiting to ask God, don't eat of the tree. If you want to know what's right and what's wrong, just ask God and he'll be glad to tell you. God is walking with Adam in the cool of the day every single day. If Adam has any kind of moral quandary, any kind of question that might come to mind, you're literally walking with God every day. Just ask him. Oh, no. No, no. No, I don't want to ask God. I just want to do what I want to do. And so they do. And they, they eat of the tree. And of course, this results in the world that we're in. We're in a world which is filled with jealousy and envy and anger and malice. And you know the list just goes on and on. All you have to do is kind of look out there. The real problem is we don't have to look out there. We just have to look in here. Just look inside your own heart with some real candor and actually Got to look at who we really are and come to find out we too are selfish and proud and we have all the problems. We wrestle with all of them. We wrestle with greed and envy and jealousy and all of these things. We look at our neighbor's stuff and wish we had what our neighbor has too. This is, the, this is who we are. You know, the golden rule is golden when other people keep it. Man, I can't wait for other people to do unto me as they'd like to do unto themselves. But you know what? It's my moment for me to actually put myself out to take care of someone else, particularly if it's going to be an actual sacrifice. Ooh, I don't know. That, that, that's a little harder. There's a reason why the world is filled with what it's filled with. When the moment actually comes to really love your neighbor like you love yourself, 
on the whole, if no one's looking and we have no fear of God, we end up making poor choices. We make, we do the math, and we say, all right, what's going to work out best for me? That's the one I'm going to do. If that works out bad for everyone else, well, oh well. That's, that's their problem. That's why the world is where it is. That's where we find ourselves in the place that we're in. When we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we all want to go to heaven. You know why we want to go to heaven? Because in heaven, people actually do the moral will of God from the heart. In heaven, there is no pride, jealousy, envy, greed. Everyone truly loves their neighbor like they love themselves from their heart. When we get to heaven, there'll be no strangers, no fear. You'll be able to leave your door unlocked if our houses even have doors. There will, there will, you will never run into anyone that you can't absolutely trust. Everyone will be friends. Everyone will love one another. What an amazing place. No wonder we all want to go there. This is praying that we will be that kind of person. That's what we're praying for. We are praying that we would do the will of God here on earth as it is in heaven. That that's the person we would be. That we would display the will of God in our lives. This is the kind of prayer that you can get on your knees and just beg God to turn you into that person. More and more every day. And until we get to heaven, we're never going to fully be this person. So this is one of those prayers that you can just pray all the time. If you want to pray without ceasing, this is the prayer to pray. Oh, Lord, make me this person. A, a very familiar passage, but let me read it to you in, in light of these thoughts. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. It's your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to the world be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may do what? Prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to renew our mind. We naturally come to the world like the world does. We naturally approach life with what will work out best for me? How, how is this going to benefit me? That's how we just naturally approach life. We need to renew our mind. And we need to refocus on how is this going to further the will of God. What can I do to not make me look good, make God look good? What can I do to show that I hold the will of God to be greater than my will? Not my will be done. Thy will be done. How can I display the will of God through my actions? We're never going to be perfect, but we can be different. We can be people who exemplify what it looks like to live the will of God. In John chapter 17, which we're not going to read the whole chapter, by the way, Jesus is praying for us. I mean, if you actually want to see the Lord's Prayer... You need to turn to John 17. It's not back there in Matthew 6. That's the disciples' prayer. 
What we're looking at here in Luke 11 is, this is what the disciples should pray. If we want to look at what Jesus actually prays, we turn to John 17. And I want to just pull out a few of the things that Jesus prays, and he prays for us. Verse 9, he says, I ask on their behalf. I, I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. They are yours. Heavenly Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Jesus in his prayer here is praying that we would have unity, that we would get along. You know the famous passage, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, by the fight you have with one another, right? No, obviously not. By the love you have for one another, by the care and the concern that you have for each other, for how you look out for one another, how you are kind and compassionate to each other. Now, that's not to say that we wouldn't have doctrinal differences. Of course we do. I'm sure that every single one of us could sit down, and if we talk long enough with each other, we could probably find some. I, there are days I disagree with myself doctrinally. You know, I mean, there's, there's always some kind of, are we going to focus on that? Are we going to focus on this, that one or two percent, that one little issue? Or are we going to care for one another and be gracious to one another? and compassionate, and have unity. This is why it's really essential that as a church, we don't fight with one another, that, that we don't go after one another, we don't gossip about one another, we don't say bad things about each other, we don't have division, that we look out for each other and are kind. And even if we happen to have a different view on something, we even do that with kindness and compassion, and with gentleness, and lovingness. This is why we need strong families. This is why it's essential that husbands love their wives, and that wives get along with their husbands. This is a great example. I mean, this is when God went out there to pick a picture of his relationship between God and the church, he picked marriage. That's what God chose. This is the relationship between God and us, is the relationship between a husband and a wife. Jesus so loved the church, he gave his life for the church. So husbands ought to love their wives. Jesus goes on and prays here in John 17, verse 12. When I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. Not one of them perished, except the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, because this is the end of Jesus' life. I mean, this is, you know, he's, he's exiting out of here. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. This is who we should be as Christians. We should have the joy of the Lord. Yeah, we live in enemy territory. Yeah, we do. We are strangers and sojourners and pilgrims. We are here, though, as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We've read the last chapter, folks. We win. Come the day of judgment, when all the world that we are so fearful of, or that we are so concerned about, and all, of, all the things that the world has to offer, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all of those things will be 
done away with. And what will occur and what will happen is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So now is the moment for us to joyfully bend the knee and say, praise God, Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. And oh, by the way, all those out there who refuse to bow the knee now, they will bow the knee then. So we can approach this conflict and trials and difficulties, which are unquestionably going to come our way, with the joy of the Lord motivating us, moving us. We go through this world with a spirit that says, this is not the end. This is not all there is. This is not the final chapter. The final chapter is eternity. That is where we want to have our hearts, to have our direction, our focus. We're sending up treasures on ahead where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. And so here, we are simply joyfully engaging in the battle. And yeah, it's a battle, okay? It's a battle. Of course it is. But you know what? In the end, we win. And so we can have joy. And this is what Jesus is praying for us, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Do we have the joy of Jesus made full in us? Pray that you will have the joy of Jesus. Pray for that. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for your family. Pray that for the church. Pray that for the church nationwide and worldwide. Pray that people would have the joy of the Lord and have it yourself. And if you feel like you don't have it, if you're feeling like, if you're looking in our world and you're just mad and angry and you're just upset. Okay, pray that God will take that away and give you his joy. God knows what's going on. God knows how it's all, all falling out. God knows exactly how it's all going. And you may be outraged at the injustice of it all. You may be looking at it saying, how could this be happening? God is allowing it to happen. Be joyful in the midst of it. Doesn't mean it's a great thing. Doesn't mean it's a good thing. But that doesn't mean we can't have the joy of the Lord. God is at work, sovereignly. God is still at work. Jesus goes on and prays. Verse 15, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. This is how Jesus prays. Not that we would avoid trials, not that we would avoid what's going on, but, but just keep us from the evil one as we go through this world. He will say in verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This is why it is so essential that we preach the word, that we read the word, that we meditate on the word of God. If you're not memorizing some verse, if you're not reading the word of God with some regularity, strive to do that. We put that get through the Bible in a year Bible reading in the bulletin every week. Take it home with your Bible and every day read it. Check it off. And when you find a verse that God just really uses, you're like, wow, I've never seen that verse before. That is just transformational. Okay. We'll all have computers, right? Copy that thing, put it on a three-by-five card, print it out, stick it on the mirror or somewhere, 
and memorize it. Just memorize it. You can do it. I don't care if it takes you six months. I don't care. It'll be a, a well-spent six months. If you do nothing but spend six months determined that you were going to be able to quote this verse, oh, it'll be wonderful. All that time and effort that you spent, I don't care if your brain is completely shot. You can do it because you'll meditate on it and you'll think about it and you'll run it over and over and over in your mind. That is time well spent thinking about the word of God. Sanctified. You'll be sanctified through the word of God. Last verse here in John 17, 20. I don't ask on behalf of those alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that is not just this generation, but the next generation, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Our unity points to the world that Jesus was sent by God. We unify in that. And our unity in that is used by God to transform the world. If we want to effectively preach the gospel, if we want to preach the gospel in a way that's going to actually reach people and transform them, unity. It's, it's so essential. We need to pray that God will make us like himself. That, that's what this prayer is, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not just a generic prayer out there. This is a very specific prayer for us. Lord, make me like you. And how is God? What is God like? Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world he sacrificed his own innocent son and gave his blood on their behalf. That's how much God loves the world. Do we love the world like that? Or are we actually pretty angry with the world? Pretty upset with them? How dare they act like that? Look at them. Is, is that, okay, God knows exactly who they are. God gave his son's life for the very people who hated him. So even if you think the whole world is your enemy, what does Jesus say about that? Love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. There's no getting around it. You just can't get around it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. Even if you think they're all your enemies and they hate you and they're all out to get you, the command of God is still love your enemies. Pray for them. Now, it may very well be that that's what you spend your time before God's throne begging him to do is to make you a person who loves your enemies because you may be a person who <clears throat> carries a grudge. You may be a person who has a real anger problem. You may, be a, <laughs> you may be a person, the last thing in the world you ever want to do is love your enemies. You, you get on your knees and the imprecatory prayers just roll out of you. Okay, it's time to come to God and to say, make me love the world and the people of the world like you do. Maybe that's what you really need to spend time praying on. It's okay. That's, it's, God is fine with that. Just pray that God will make you into that person because your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that God's love would be displayed through you because that's what God did when he came. His love was displayed. Jesus was the ultimate display of the love of God. Jesus so loved his neighbor, he died for them. That's how much Jesus loved his neighbor. 
pray that God make you into that person. There are, of course, any number of biblical attitudes and ideas, and so let me just run through some of them. If you, it's all online, so I guess you know you may or may not want to grab a piece of paper and a pencil, even though the back of the bulletin's is notes. You know, I've spent you know this week going through the scriptures, thinking about this, praying about this. I want us to be fruitful, and I want our fruit to remain. I want us to display what God is doing. So let me just, just go through. These are, these are things that people in the scriptures have prayed about that we can pray about, that we can pray for us, we can pray for those around us, we can pray for our family, we can pray for the church in general. These are the kinds of things that should characterize our prayer. Not, not, I'm not suggesting you make a list and, you know, Go through it and you know, check it off and don't, don't go there. But in general, these kinds of things. So here we go. Have gratitude. Lord, make me a person of gratitude. I, I want to be thankful. Help me to rejoice evermore. In everything, give thanks, right? To praise God for my circumstances. To believe that God is sovereign and has placed me in the circumstances he's placed me. The job I have and the neighbors I have. And, and all those things which are completely out of my control. But God is in control of them and praise God that he's done them. Praise God for, if you have them, the children he's given us. Praise God for all the circumstances he has placed us in. Pray for God's justice. That his justice be done. That the wicked be punished. That God give us rulers who will dispense his justice and his righteousness. Pray for our leaders. Pray that God will use them to bring about his will in this world. Pray for the increase of the gospel. Our world is in trouble. Our world is sick with wickedness and sin. If you've ever really wondered about the conflict of worldviews, just... Go online and look at the headlines. There is a way to view this world as a Christian, and there is a way to view this world that everyone else has got. We are at war with them. We've always been at war with them. The Christian worldview, God's view of this world, and Satan's view of this world have forever been fighting one another. There's the view of the world in which God defines what's right and what's wrong. And then there's Satan's lie, which is that you can define your own view of what's right and wrong. Those two worldviews have been at it since the garden. If you have difficulty seeing them, it's because you're not paying attention. Just lift up your eyes and look. This fight is breaking out in clear ways in our own nation. In many ways, that's very tragic. In many ways, it draws a bright line. Jesus drew a very bright line. Jesus made sure that people knew which side of that line they stood on. The church of God, I fear, in many regards, has so bought into a rather pragmatic approach to it all in which we're all trying to sell the gospel and we're trying to sell Jesus and we're trying to not offend anyone and, and get out here and make it all sound like, well, we just, we just want to be, if we're nice enough, you know, if we're just nice enough, the world will like the gospel. Um, the carnal mind is at war with God. 
It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And so when we preach the gospel and tell people that they are sinners who need to repent and who need to turn from their sin and turn to Christ, that is a message which offends them every single time. Every single time. And to try to water that message down to the place where it doesn't offend them is to remove the very power of that message. We need to provide people with a very bright line so that they know whether they believe or not. Let's make it clear. Have you repented of your sin or haven't you? Have you come to God and told him you're a sinner or haven't you? I mean, this is a message that, I, and I think God has brought about this particular pandemic and we are watching churches taking a stand or not. God is forcing us to get on one side or the other. Pray. Pray for the church of God. Pray that we will make right choices. Pray that we will comfort the afflicted. We'll have hearts of genuine compassion. We will look on folks and it's okay to have emotion and to look at the world is just tossed to and fro by every crazy idea that comes along. They're not grounded in truth. They're deliberately, they, they want to throw truth out the window and then, and then they get lost in this moral craziness. Have compassion on them. Help, that, pray that God would give you a heart that would, with compassion, lead them to the truth. It's easy to just get angry and be condemning. That's, God sent his own son. Pray that that would be us. Pray that God would rule in our lives. Pray that God would give us an eternal perspective. Pray that we would show the love of Christ and that the gospel would be powerful in our lives. These are the kinds of things to pray. Pray for a fruitful ministry. Pray that the seeds you plant, someone will come along and water them, and that when you come along, you will water the seeds that others have planted, and that God would give a great increase. Most of all, just pray that we will be godly. Make us godly. Make us be like Christ. That we would genuinely love our neighbors, the people we run into. Pray that. And these are the kinds of things that God's will be done, first of all, in my life. And then that the will of God will be done in the lives of others. And ultimately, that we would see the will of God grow and prosper in this world. Pray. Pray it with fervency. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we want to be the people you want us to be. Ultimately, that is what the prayer is. It's to change, not you, us. We're trying to come to you in prayer so that we will be conformed to your image. Prayer is not just that moment where we somehow show up with a list of things we want and hope that you'll agree. We come to you asking you to transform us. May we be like you to the very core of our being. Help us, Lord, to be yielded, to be soft, to be tenderhearted, to be people who desire above all else to bring honor and glory to you through our very lives. We ask in the name of
your amazing, loving son who gave his life so that we may be able to pray to you. Amen.